We are living in an American culture that has shifted from tolerant to cancel culture, from supportive to disruptive, from decent to rude, from optimistic to cynical, and from relatively safe to increasingly violent. Many are willing to exchange their liberty for a form of socialism. Through this podcast, we will chart a course to get America back on track. Hi, I am Allie Farah, daughter of Barry Farah. My dad's a best-selling author, CEO across six industries, and former candidate for governor of Colorado. He is also a private pilot, adventurer, and engaging life coach. I should know. Through Culture Shift, my dad will systematically deliver a fresh and compelling path that will help you create your own American dream. Hey, welcome back to the Barry Ferra Show, Culture Shift, and Maya's our culture shifting. We'd like to shift it back to something a little bit more gentle and kind. So the question on the table today is big tech, today's thought police. Now, if you're a Gen Zer or a millennial and you attended public school, you probably didn't study the adverse impact of Marxist or fascist regimes. I believe some rendition of that kind of a regime could effectively unfold right here in this country that I love so much, if we're not careful. Some of the required reading for middle and high school age kids that grew up in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s included books like Al Huxley's Brave New World. He wrote that in 1932. George Orwell's 1984. He wrote that in 1949. And Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. He wrote that in 1953. Now, Brave New World was a novel where the citizens are environmentally engineered into this intelligence-based social hierarchy. It shows a frightening outcome to reproductive technology, sleep learning, psychological manipulation, and conditioning people. People can be conditioned. That's one of the reasons I am so uncomfortable with any mass order, any executive order that requires everyone to comply in a certain way without understanding all of the intricacies of individual responsibility and uh, the ability for adults to make their own decisions. So anytime there's a mass compliance requirement, I get nervous. The other book, Fahrenheit 451, is based on what his understanding of actual history was of book burning. He had studied that, but rather than write a history book, he wrote a novel, and he presented a future American society where books are completely outlawed, and the folks that are burning them are firemen. They burn any book that they can find. It's a pretty messed up world. The equivalent of that, though, might be happening right now in a, in, at some level of scale, and that's just related to allegations on the 2020 election. Some people say that wasn't honest. Maybe it was honest. Maybe it wasn't. But you shouldn't go burning all of the evidence that folks had and that, that uh, they revealed. But that's happening as we speak. Now, in 1980, that, the book 1984, which was written in 1949... It speaks to how dehumanizing it is to be under the rule of a totalitarian state. Now, these are all novels. But by the time I was required to read 1984, I think it was 1981, if I'm not mistaken. So these novels were written during and just after totalitarian states or societies were in an advanced state of collapse. And while at the same time, there were some other totalitarian states that were on the rise. So 
the perspective of the author was guttural. It was, it was experiential. I mean, the idea was to set the alarm, be informed. You don't want to go down the road toward this coerced socialism or Marxism or communism or fascism. It's not good. Let's just look at one element that's in the book 1984. And we'll talk about the thought police. Now, the term thought police is kind of a crazy idea. I mean, it refers to having an actual physical police force that's responsible for enforcing ideas and policy that's related to political life in some society. The idea is to force people who have a different political belief back into the correct belief. And if the belief that they have is not the same as the ruling class, then they'll either re-educate you so they don't make martyrs out of everyone, or they'll structure an um, environment where you can be responsive to your re-education. Or they'll physically torture you. And then if that doesn't work, they'll murder you. If you don't agree with the ideological orthodoxy, the thought police can arrest you. The outcome goal of thought police is to create a single party rule. No opposition. It's marked by the outcome goal of total submission to a particular political belief. There are numerous examples of thought police. Uh, the socialist regimes like today's Venezuela and many that rose to power in the communist or fascist regimes in the 20th century, today's China and North Korea, they all have thought police. Now, let's go back to these authors. They knew about the Gestapo, Germany's secret state police, and they knew about Lenin's purge. L let's just look at the Gestapo for just a minute. The thought police of the fascist Nazi Germany were these Gestapo guys. They were the, now the enforcement arm, they had a lot of power themselves, but there was an additional enforcement arm, which was the SS. They operated as the uniformed military force, the elite shock troops, enforcing Nazi doctrine, as well as engaging in military operations. The Gestapo operated as a secret domestic police organization. They utilized surveillance and coercive interrogation to gain the submission of the German people. They'd torture you. They'd humiliate you. And if that didn't work, they'd murder you. Now, where did the actual term thought police come from? It was a real term used in the Empire of Japan. And that, that J, J, Japan's empire lasted from 1868 to 1947. But it was in 1911 that they had this special higher police. It, it established a political force known as the Shisu Kiyazatsu. I probably didn't say that right, but it was close. And that translated means thought police. The thought police investigated and controlled political groups whose ideologies were considered a threat to the public order of the countries that were colonized by Japan. So these thought police would suppress you. And the way they would suppress you is they would first charge you with a dangerous thought. That's the actual translated quote. So what is a dangerous thought? Well, it's anything that challenged the empire of Japan. I mean, anyone who spoke up for civil rights, uh, Japan's thought police increased in scope. They included religious groups, pacifists, student activists, traditional liberals on the left, and those that were way on the right. Basically, anyone who didn't toe the line of the Japanese empire would be subject to the inquisition of the thought police. Now, let's fast forward from the original use of the term, which is where the author of 1984 got it in real life in 1911. That was a term and it was a real live police force in Japan. So Eric Blair is a young boy in 1911, but in 1949, he's 45, and he wrote the book, 1984. Eric's pen name 
was George Orwell. He became world famous for the book. It's a novel of how bad things can get under a totalitarian regime. I mean, they can get really bad. And he had seen this in his lifetime. Actually, there were several times there was a dehumanizing and totalitarian regime right near him. So not only in the empire of Japan, but nearby Nazi Germany and Lenin. Lenin led Russia, killing millions and millions. These governments basically imprisoned anyone who didn't toe the line, didn't obey and submit. And they would execute people if you had a different view of how government should be run. So that's what he was working from when he had written what could have been a history book, but he wanted to point out the horrors of squashing free speech, and he did it with this predictive novel. Instead of a utopia, which is how this could come out, a community could look great, this was a dystopia of how a community could look horrible. So from the perspective of 1949, from his lens, he's looking at what would happen if in 1984 society forgot the horrors of the dehumanization and tyrannical rule, and what if technology got better? What if we didn't prevent tyrannical rule? What, what if the power to rule could be achieved through technology? So he wrote a novel. In it, he described what can happen when the thought police, he called them the think pole, take over. And in his novel, the secret police discover and punish thought crimes. Thought crimes include personal beliefs, by the way. But the secret police primarily focus on an expressed political belief. And if it's an unapproved political belief, then you're in trouble. So the guys enforcing that have total power. They know where you are at all times. The prediction of total surveillance through technology and informers was frighteningly real. So in the book, they monitor everyone. Today, so does big tech. In the book, they arrest all those who have committed a thought crime. And they kind of cancel you if you have a thought crime there. A thought crime can be anything that challenges the authority of the ruling party and the regime of Big Brother. Orwell's concept of policing thought is really amazing in how predictive it was, and it's frightening. So his book is published June 8th, 1949. October 1st, just a few months later, 1949, Mao proclaimed that China would be under a single-party state. He murdered tens of millions of people who resisted his total control of the Communist Party. And he was driving all of that through his rendition of Thought Police. Only a few months later, the Stasi started February 8, 1950 in East Germany. This was horrific. The Stasi became one of the largest campaigns of volunteer informers in history. It's been described as one of the most effective and repressive and hum humiliating and intimidating secret police agencies ever to have existed. So powerful and omnipresent were they that many people just turned them in, themselves in to eliminate the stress of wondering whether or not their daughter or their brother would be turning them in instead. Many countries on the continents of Africa and South America had or now have some version of thought police. You're incentivized to turn in your parents or your kids if they're running astray of the North Korean line. North Korean has its own intense version. If you visit North Korea, and the the, what's going to happen is the Ministry of State will be monitoring your every single move. You say the wrong thing, and you could end up in jail the rest of your life. With thought police... They all resulted in the formation of a single-party state. And once you got control through the thought police, well, how do you main control? 
with more thought police. So what is it they're trying to control anyways? Why, why don't you just let people speak and say what they want as long as it's not against the law? Well, your speech and actions would be controlled by humiliating you, by shaming you, kind of similar to what happens sometimes today on the internet, or otherwise intimidating you to not think a certain way. Those were all called unapproved thoughts, and they result in being labeled an enemy of the state. It's happening today in Venezuela, North Korea, in some instances in China. So currently, <clears throat> big tech has censored untold number of people who have different ideas, different thoughts than the political narrative of the owners of these companies. But those ideas are totally lawful. They're just different ideas. They're very traditional ideas, traditional conservatism, traditional Christianity. These ideas, though, are getting purged. Some, there's something about a fear of someone else's ideas that's very frail. And so as powerful as they are, it seems like they're running in fear, afraid of you being able to just speak up. And if your ideas are freedom-based, and if your freedom ideas oppose their ideas, watch out. I mean, the examples are abundant, but they all share a common link. And the link is, if you were dropped by the big tech folks in recent weeks, and if you didn't say anything illegal or against the law, you're likely just a conservative. Uh, worse, the ideas and content of many thousands of people who have a concern about election honesty have been scrubbed. So not only are they taking away what you've said, they're taking away the evidence of what you've said. So we have the equivalent on the internet right now today of book burning. And this book burning is by big tech. We have the equivalent of the Stasi by some of the branches of social media against tra traditional conservative beliefs. The idea of freedom is that you can be honest, honest with yourself, honest with others, and that you would have the personal power to think what you want and say what you believe. That's part of our country's greatness. But in these socialistic, communist, and fascist societies, they all had one thing in common. Get rid of free speech. To succeed these past and present socialist, Marxist, communist, and fascist regimes, beat down family values, eradicated the Christian notion of virtue, honor, worship, personal responsibility, and, and gaining a control of your own problems and being responsible for it and actually claiming personal guilt when you did something wrong, but then the personal liberty that comes from taking responsibility and accomplishing something. For some reason, they're against some of these traits and these virtues. So in the olden days, these socialists and communist parties and fascist organizations would just re-educate you, and they would force compliance of a certain behavior designed to make it noble to give up your freedom rights, designed to make it noble to rat on your parents, your brother, your sister, your daughter, and make it selfish to hold on to your freedom rights and selfish to not rat on your mother, your grandmother, your son. If you wouldn't break, if you still believed in freedom and individual liberty, well, you were killed, usually by torture. If you tried to escape the misery, you got killed, and that was usually by uh, in front of your family and brutally. Now, we, we haven't come to anything like that yet, but you will lose your job you will be publicly shamed. You will be otherwise ruined. You will be threatened. 
if you speak your mind and it doesn't line up with big tech's thought police. The difference today is that the companies are not run by the government. They have enormous power, but they're not controlled by an organization that you can vote out. So what can be done? Well, you can boycott and there's some marginal benefit around the edges there. Alternatives will eventually rise up, but that's not so easy. I mean, Parler's CEO and staff are under constant siege. He and his family are fearing for their lives right now while they're trying to figure out how to get these other servers booted up by the end of January. In the meantime, your speech isn't really protected. Now, social scientists define freedom in society as assuming that you're not using your freedom to break any laws or impose restrictions on other people's freedom. Very simply, where there's no coercion, where there's no restriction, and where there's no censorship. Though not everyone who developed America's founding documents would identify themselves as Christians, most did. And they were all influenced by Judeo-Christian thought. And the idea of Judeo-Christian thought was that there was this concept where the implementation of laws and rules should be done in a manner that equipped people to have the most freedom to do what's right. So the number of things listed that are wrong are, are minimal. Like you have 10 commandments that you shall not do but you have very few things that you shall do. You shall love God. You shall honor and love your neighbor. But what you shall not do is, is also fairly limited. And so this concept was brought to American law. And in the Constitution, that's why it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. But the cancel culture has pulled out all the stops to attempt to shut people up on college campuses, corporations, team sports, social media. It's completely out of control. The freedom to speak your mind is a foundational freedom right. It's the right really to your own life. It's the right to your own liberty. I mean, when you think about what the freedom to speak is, it's the freedom to think. You, you have, it's part of you. So you need to be able to express what you think. And if it's not against the law, you're not violating some law and doing something horrible, then you should be able to express that and be able to promote it. And the freedom to express yourself should also include the freedom to challenge others. So the freedom to speak being this right to speak from your mind, your own will, your own emotions, your soul, is really an acknowledgement of something special. You're created in God's image, which means you have validity. And the validity you have in the United States meant that because you're a citizen of the United States, you are valid and able to speak. Your mind is worth something, and you can speak whatever it is. Well, what we're witnessing right before our eyes is widespread censorship, and it's dangerous. We really don't want to go down this road. Iran, Af Afghanistan, North Korea, China, others censor speech. But what results here is a culture of fear. The freedom of speech is enshrined in the First Amendment. It grants all Americans, everyone, even the ones you don't like and don't agree with, the liberty to criticize the government. And as long as it's not slanderous, you, big tech, it gives all Americans the authority to speak their minds without fear of being persecuted. We should return to broad support of freedom of speech. Protecting people's ability to think and decide for themselves is essential. Protecting people's ability to freely make up their own mind is foundational to a free people. And censorship 
prevents broad access to arguments on all sides of the issue. So, with what's going on today, how in the heck do you go after big tech? I mean, technically, legally, it'll be difficult. A contract's a legally binding document between parties. It, it defines the rights and the duties of the parties, and it usually involves an exchange of goods, services, or money. A breach of contracts when one party doesn't do their part, and so the other party can get some form of damages or have this ability to cancel its end of the deal. It requires an offer by one party and an acceptance by another one. If the, author, if the offer from big tech is their terms of use, where they basically say they can do anything they want at any time, legally, once you accept those terms, you're bound by that contract. But in the arena of free speech, is there some form of an implied in fact contract that could be used as a lever against big tech in addition to the whole legal issue of getting them um, not so much protection on uh, Rule 230? So many conservative voices were unilaterally canceled off their social media platforms in the past few months. It seems that none who have been canceled are liberal. The rules don't apply to the radical left, just conservatives. Some of these voices have built a livelihood on the success of their platform. Now, I'm doing this for free, and so it's not economic, but I, I just want to help young people succeed. But those folks who are building it on a platform to have a business model, that's their livelihood. If they didn't break any laws, is it really okay for the platform, for the infrastructure, to willy-nilly cancel them? I think there might be an implied-in-fact contract, and that's a real-life term. It, it, it's when there's a nonverbal conduct by two parties. And rather than explicit words, it creates a binding agreement. There, there's, in fact, a ruling in the United States Supreme Court that says, look, uh, and I'll give you a quote, founded upon a meeting of the minds, which allow, which although not embodied in the express contract, is inferred as a fact from conduct of the parties, showing in the light of the surrounding circumstances, their tacit understanding. So there's nothing in writing, and there's not even a verbal contract, but both parties have exchanged conduct that indicates an agreement existed. So quick example, if, if I go into a restaurant, I place an order, even though I didn't explicitly agree to pay for the food, the restaurant in good faith prepares my food and delivers it to me prior to my payment and without any explicit contract between me and the restaurant. My conduct's reasonable, um, and it's reasonable for them to understand that I'm going to pay them, and it's reasonable for me to understand that I'm going to get the food before I pay them. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't write it down. Yeah. A contract actually did exist. I mean, if they wanted to take, if I didn't pay the bill and they wanted to take me to small claims court, they'd win. We both agreed to the essential terms, and our conduct um, showed that we acted in accordance with that agreement. And there was a fair exchange of consideration. They gave me food, I gave them money. So, would it be possible for some of you who have been deplatformed to demonstrate that big tech had an implied in fact contract that superseded, that superseded their written terms? I mean, it's very difficult to do, but they provided you with reasonable services in return for agreed upon reasonable payment for a very long period of time. And then all of a sudden they yanked out from under you the infrastructure of your business model. Could you argue similar to like a landlord tenant relationship that you should at least be given a good faith opportunity to have a smooth transition period? Landlords can't just kick out tenants willy nilly. They can't just cancel you right away because your business depends on that location and that site. Could you argue that it's bad faith since the rules only apply to political enemies? I mean, when a restaurant says no shirt, no service, they have to apply that rule to everyone. But somehow big tech is able to apply their rules to everyone that they don't like. 
but not to the radical left. Heck, you know, they don't even apply their rules to enemies of the state. It's true. I mean, like the Iran's Khomeini can have horrible things on his YouTube and on his big tech uh, social media. But if you're a conservative and you say that you disagree with something that uh, has happened in the past two or three months, you get canceled. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to pull this off, but that's, I'm just throwing that one out there as an option. But I, I hope you don't lose courage. There will be alternatives soon, and my guess is there will be a very a large mass of folks that will go to those other platforms. But the Bible gives us this word of encouragement in the meantime. In James 1, starting in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, Christianity started with a very small group of people. And there were only about 500 that saw Jesus resurrected over that 40-day period. But from that group of 500 people, in a very short period of time, they went to 100 million Christians around the world. And that was enduring all kinds of things, including martyrdom. They counted it joy. They persevered. They hung in there. I'm asking you to hang in there, not lose heart. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm all about your success, and that does really depend on you being able to freely think for yourself. I'm hoping you will continue to think for yourself and speak your mind. God bless you, and be free. Hi. I'm David Farah. Thank you for listening to my dad's podcast, The Barry Farah Show, Culture Shift. Click subscribe now to be sure you don't miss an episode. Share this podcast with your friends on social media and give The Barry Farah Show your five-star rating. Check out today's show notes below this episode and at thebarryfarrishshow.com. This podcast is also available in video format at The Barry Farah Show on YouTube. See you next time.